Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another week of Wake Up with Patty Catter. Today, I have a special guest with me, Candace Cheslow. Candace, welcome to my show. Thank you so much for having me, Patty. Yes, I'm very excited to have Candace on the show today because I have known Candace for a long time, since 2008. We actually went to Guatemala together back in the day. And uh, so, Candace, first of all, just welcome. Thank you. Yeah. And I would love it if you could just tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, because I know you really well, and I know the badass that you truly are, um, but I want my listeners to know this too. Sure. Thank you. Um, you're overselling right now, I have to say. Um, no. Um, so thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. And it's an honor. Um, just a, a little high level view. I um, Currently, I am the chief operations officer for a nonprofit humanitarian organization called the Black Feather Foundation. And prior to that, it is kind of a hodgepodge of a, of a pattern of how my life has evolved, but it's all been based around helping and serving and in kind of those fields. So I was a, a, a adjunct professor at the University of Alaska Matsu campus. I taught business there, um, four different courses there. And um, prior to that, I was actually in the army I served from 98 to 2007. Um, I got out as a captain. Uh, and then uh, prior to that, I attended Georgetown University. I was a division one basketball player for uh, Georgetown and we were in the co-big East champs in 1993 and went to the Sweet 16. So that was a pretty amazing era of my life. Um, to continue my education, I worked and earned my master's degree and I was working towards my doctorate until August of 2021, when um, my husband and I, who's also, he's retired military, and we volunteered to go help out with the withdrawal from um, Afghanistan to help our allies. And I ended up serving over in Abu Dhabi at the refugee camp for off and on for about six months. And because of that, I get to add to my, um, my life. We have three biological children. We have a fourth that has been with us for quite a while and we love him. He's ours. But then we also have, we have the legal guardians of three Afghan refugee children who are just um, amazing, hardworking, incredible. So there are seven that we call our own. And then of course my husband. Uh, so yeah, that's the, that's the high level of you. Oh my goodness. And and her story is so extensive, y'all. So um you know, most people wouldn't just see what was going on in Afghanistan with the withdrawal. They would, they wouldn't just look at the TV and think, "What can I do to go there? What can I do to go help?" How did that even come about? What was happening? Did you actually see it on the news first, or were you kind of given a heads up, or how did that all unfold for you? That is an interesting story. And what I didn't throw in there is, I am a Christian, and I say that because um, it's the only way I can explain what happened and how it happened. So I was working for Samaritan's Purse and they have a DART program. It's the disaster area relief team. And they go into other countries or around the country now um, when the disaster strikes, they're always one of the first ones on the scene. So I was working with them, but in order to help internationally, um, particularly with the Afghan, you see it unfolding and you know um, what's about to happen. And so I went and finally got my COVID shot. I got the first one. It was August of 2021. And I had a really bad reaction. Um, I ended up in the ER twice. They actually listed me as having a cardiac arrest. Um, so I was actually, I was sitting on the couch 
which is not my norm. I tend to move quite a bit. And we were watching this unfold and my husband and I were just, um, we all, everybody in the military has lost. We've lost so many friends. I lost a really good friend September 11th um, from Georgetown. And so it was very personal. So to watch this unfold the way it did, it was very heart-wrenching. And I'm sitting on the couch, getting more frustrated and Samaritan's Purse called. And they asked me, would you like to help via the phones? And I said, absolutely, I'll do whatever I can. So we found there was a, a little bit of a backup in, um, in processing because of the massive numbers that were coming in. So we're trying to reach out and help people via Signal or WhatsApp to families that are on the ground and hear how we can help if there's anything we can do to move them forward. We teamed up, um, I worked with a Samaritan's Purse helped me get involved with another organization all within a matter of hours to, to do this work. Um, a very long story short, my husband and I found um, that there was a refugee camp in Abu Dhabi. And so we volunteered. We just basically hopped on a plane and went to Abu Dhabi and we went to help see how we could help. Thought we'd be there for a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks. And I ended up staying over there, you know, like I said, off and on for about six months. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, that's kind of funny because most people, they also don't think I'm just going to jump on a plane and go to Abu Dhabi and go help with, you know, across the world. And I have three kids at home or four kids and, um, you know, we're just going to manage it all. And I mean, you're really the most motivated person I think I've ever met in my life. And I've met a lot of people in my life. Um, and I've had a lot of people on my show, but to actually personally know you and know your capability of like your God given talents, because there's no other excuse. I mean, there's it's a God-given talent because you just keep going and you're, you know, um, you have such a heart to help people. So you're kind of in chaos, you and your husband, all of a sudden you're across the country or across the world, I should say. And what happens when you land and you get off of the plane? What was your first reaction? Um, so we had to, well, first it's kind of funny because we had to go into the country, an unconventional method. And we get there. And the first thing I was really surprised when we think, I think most people, when you think of a refugee camp, you think of tents and um, very dire conditions. Well, the Emiratis had the refugees in, in amazing um, conditions. And so I was really taken aback and, and thankful that they took such good care of them. So that was one. Um, two, there was a very, from a professional side, the disconnect between the US government and what was happening on the ground was phenomenal. And the NGOs that came over, they were all aligned. We've all heard of different stories and um, heroics and you know, things that took place to, to help out and facilitate this cause. Mm -hmm. So I was able to meet up with a group that had been there, working there for about 10 days before my husband and I landed. And it was all in the special operations community um, skill set. So we get there and of course, uh, you know, you, most veterans are, are, are proud of their service, but then you have a group that are very close hold of what they do and they're not just going to put it all out there. And so it took a few minutes for us to kind of quietly vet each other and to make sure that Joe and I were who we said we were, et cetera. And then it ends up, I'd cross paths several times with a couple of them. So that was a unique experience, but to see this level of professionalism in one place 
and to hear what they did ten, you know, way before I got there and, and the number of people they'd already, um, by the time I got there were about 10,000 people, they'd already managed to get out safely. Um, so it was kind of overwhelming to um, see the resourcefulness of your average citizen, to see the dedication to our allies. Um, and part of this was there is a gentleman named Aziz who I love and now is my brother. Um, but Chad Robichal went over and he was part of the catalyst um, to go in and help Aziz because Aziz was his translator when he was over in Iraq. I mean, in Afghanistan, I apologize. And when he was in Afghanistan. So, um, you know, just to meet these guys and see what they're willing to do to save people they love and that they care about. It was really humbling to watch the whole event unfold. Mm -hmm. So I know that as a civilian watching the news unfold in the United States, um, I was really upset about how it appeared like it was being handled. It looked like complete, total um, chaos. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So when you arrived, is that kind of what you felt as well? Or or is it just, you know, how sometimes the media can clip and, and show only certain parts? What was your thought process on that? It was much worse. Mm -hmm. It was much worse on the ground. It was much worse. It was much more complicated and dire. Um, and the the strength of the people that were going through it is is what I remember. So the first day that I was actually in the refugee camp, I heard stories that were very fresh and very raw. And some of the um, things that they showed me out of desperation for human contact. So I went in as a FET, like a female engagement teams in the, the culture, the Afghan culture is very um, traditional and men don't necessarily uh, interact with women from other cultures. So I was able to go in and, and have a more intimate uh, conversation with people, with our translators. So, um, but I was shown videos of of people being raped and um some of the other stories I, I actually wouldn't talk about because they are pretty traumatic and and my own children that we have now have told me stories from the days of sitting there with no food no water um people soiling themselves stepping over dead bodies babies um elderly and it was um it was really it's so much more than the average person has um, being able to, to, to look behind the curtain and see mm -hmm. and the chaos and the, the guns firing on open firing on people randomly, just at will. I mean, it was, it was pretty, it, even secondhand hearing the information was more traumatic than stuff I'd seen in real life in Iraq or with my soldiers. Um, this was, this hit me in a much deeper level. Mm -hmm. So tell me and my listeners, um, people don't understand what, how the chaos, chaos started. Mm -hmm. So basically, you know, we see these airplanes on TV and we see people trying to climb into the airplanes. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't even realize what was going on that led up to that moment. Mm -hmm. Why would people fire into crowds? Why are there dead bodies laying around? Like people don't really understand it's the Taliban that was behind all of that, correct? Right. So, um, so the, the gentlemen that were there doing the extraction, those 10 guys, so their accounts to me of exactly what happened. And again, my children's accounts, you know, on one side, you had Russian soldiers on one side, you had American soldiers on one side, you know, on a different, uh, part of the wall, you had Taliban. Mm -hmm. And when people would push too close, the Taliban would just open fire and just at their will, um, apparently no orders, no nothing, just any random person could open fire. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard on our soldiers. 
and the people were terrified, of course, but on our soldiers, they, they were not allowed to engage. They were not allowed to engage. They were watching men, women, children be murdered right in front of them. And they were not allowed to engage. And that trauma for our troops, I, I can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. I just can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. So somebody who, for me, a civilian, and, and I know you have to listen to military orders. Is there a line where you can go? I mean, you go against your, your orders, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're going to get in trouble. You're mm -hmm. going to get article 15. You're mm -hmm. going to maybe face prison. You're mm -hmm. thinking in your head. Mm -hmm. Is there any kind of logical thinking though, where you think like morally, I have the obligation to go against my commander's orders. And if you do that though, what's the re repercussion of that? Yeah. So, um, my husband and I often discuss what will we do if, you know, we war game things after they've happened and what would I have done? Would I have been able to watch that happen? And the answer is you really don't know. You really don't know how you're going to respond to open, you know, someone firing at you until you've been in that circumstance or when you have incoming mm -hmm. until it happens. And you can say with all the bravado that you would do and try to do the right thing. But one, we don't know what we would do until we're in that position. Mm -hmm. um, yes, you can go against military orders and there would be repercussions. Um, however, a if they give you an illegal order and you don't follow it, you are in the right. Mm -hmm. Um, but rules of engagement are pretty, pretty staunch. Um, there were instances of um, people that decided to do the right thing. Like I, and I don't know who this soldier was and I'd love to give him a hug, but there was an explosion. My son fell into one of the ditches at Abbey Gate at H. Kaya. He fell in and an American soldier pulled him through and just let him go through, mm -hmm. you know, and thank God, mm -hmm. you know, was he authorized to do that? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Did you do the right thing? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know. So um, you all of a sudden, you know, you're thrown into this role. Mm -hmm. I've been told you were overseeing eighteen thousand to twenty thousand refugees. Is that correct? Um, when I was there, it was probably closer to fifteen thousand. Um, the the um, EHC mm -hmm. where they were processed almost twenty thousand. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was a pretty big number. Um, the last that I was aware of was around eighteen thousand, mm -hmm. but they processed a lot. And by the time I left, it was closer to fifteen. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So I can just picture you, Candace, because you're such a, a go-getter. Mm -hmm. I can see you running on fumes. You probably didn't sleep very much. Yes. You were probably up as late as you could be up until your eyes just wouldn't stay open yeah. any longer. Mm -hmm. And then you were probably awake first thing in the morning mm -hmm. to live that for how many weeks or months? Um, I was there from August to the end of January, but I did have breaks where I went home. I had to fly home for Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, yeah. And yeah. even doing that though, you know, yeah. you're, you're in that intense situation. How mm -hmm. do you go? How do you turn it off? Um, so for me, I was actually, um, I, I work a little different. I compartmentalize, which is a good thing. Probably why I was able to do some of the jobs I did. I compartmentalize pretty well. And so um, when I'm there, I am there. I'm not thinking about my children. I'm, you know, my husband is completely capable. I know my children are fine. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not thinking about anything else but the job. So really, when you're deployed, for me, it's a little bit simpler life because I don't have laundry. I'm not worried about transportation. I don't have, you know, I'm not a soccer mom. I'm not, you know, I don't have to pay the bills. I don't have to do anything. I just have to do my job. Mm -hmm. So that really simplifies my mind. Mm -hmm. and allows me to work longer, harder at one task. Mm 
So yeah. So it's kind of funny hearing this because you guys, she just is like, I don't have to be a soccer mom. Like that's so hard. It's so much harder than being deployed in this refugee area. It is. <laughs> it is moms, moms, you are heroes. I, I, I am my poor kids. I can't cook. I can't. sew. I, I, you know, moms are the heroes. So I was in Iraq and I would see men and I was in a specialized unit mm -hmm. and we had, people would have pictures of their kids around the frames of their computers. And they would, I had no pictures of my kids. I would only call them once a week and that was it. And I just refused. I just couldn't bring all that emotion of a mom, like wearing, protecting, changing diapers. And my kids were little, they were um, like two and three or three and four when I was in Iraq. Mm -hmm. And I could not bring that with me. Mm -hmm. And so when I went back and I was over there, same, same concept and they're older and, you know, they're older kids at the time it was my daughter's senior year. Um, but I just couldn't bring that with me or that would have made my job 10 times harder. Mm -hmm. Think about what you moms yeah. think about what you do in a day. It's like, Hey mom, I need this. And it's three o'clock and they need it at three Oh five. Like that kind of constant, you know, it's constant peppering at home. Yeah. You know, and it's you, true. Yeah. yeah so true. moms do not let your husband lie. <laughs> so, so this is kind of a, a fun, um, topic that people don't actually understand because you, a lot of my guests have been male on my mm -hmm. show. So they're mm -hmm. the dads. And I feel like there's not as much pressure for a dad to be around his family mm -hmm. um, because that's his job. Mm -hmm. And it's a really neat experience for me to have you on the show because, you know, it's, it's the same. It's the same. Mm -hmm. it, at the end of the day, it's the same. It's your mm -hmm. job. It's important. You're helping to provide for your kids. Even if you're not there in person, it's mm -hmm. indirectly, you've given them an amazing yeah. um, upbringing. I know your kids, um, I know your family life and I know you have an amazing family life. Um, not only that, you're trying to help other people in countries away have a great family life. So tell us about when you're coming home and you're thinking that you're going to start leaving all of this behind you, mm -hmm. right? Um, how did, how did your trip home go? And what happened once you arrived home? So from the last trip? Yes. Um, I actually had the opportunity to bring my son over for a month. He is in college, super bright. I knew he's a natural leader, played sports through high school, um, earned a four-year JRTC scholarship. So I knew the quality he was, but it changes when you think you know to when you see them become an adult and you see that put in action. Mm -hmm. So he was over there with me um, from late December through um, January. And um, it, it was beautiful to, to see him, you know, grow and appreciate and solve problems and, and be in different cultures and be very comfortable in that environment. However, while we were there, we did have an incoming round come into Abu Dhabi twice. And I did send him home, even though he's six foot three and I'm like, you're going home. <laughs> but, but I did send him home because it reminds you and, uh, and that was, that was my last, um, tour there. And then I come home and things really had changed. My son was 13 at the time mm -hmm. and moms and dads, you know, that your kids, if you blink all of a sudden they're taller or they're, you know, they've changed personalities and Max had really changed. My youngest had really grown up without me being there. So it was beautiful because we, we raise our children different, you know, right. a man raises different than a woman, Right. period. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so 
some of that softness that I had been giving him wasn't there. And he just really grew up and I was heartbroken a little bit. Like, where's my baby? Mm -hmm. You know, he wasn't a baby anymore. And then my daughter has had gone through most of her senior year without me there. Mm -hmm. So watching my family grow without me did two things. It was very peaceful to know that they're going to be fine. Like you've done your job, you've raised them right. Um, and then the other part of it was like, wow, I've missed so much. Because when they were younger, I knew they wouldn't remember me being gone. My children do not ever remember me being in Iraq. Mm -hmm. But this, my children will always remember. And so that kind of, you know, it's hard. And and I have people that don't agree with what I did. I have people constantly ask me, why do you go overseas and help? We need so much help here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And who aren't, don't agree with what I do mm -hmm. and how I do it. So yeah, facing yeah. that. That is a good point because I've had a lot of people who comment on my shows or who've asked me privately, you know, why are you focused on international help? Why are you yeah. focused on international policymaking? Why do you think that these things are important? And I don't think that the majority of the Americans understand that these days, especially international work is so important because if we don't help internationally, some of these issues are going to creep up here in America at home. So if we're not taking care of, um, for instance, our Afghan interpreters, um, we don't fulfill our promises to them. They're going to remember that. And that could spark international issues as well as national issues. Correct? Absolutely. I think that this has been a tipping point for many countries and how they view us. We did not follow through on our commitment to Afghanistan and the allies that we had there. And we have definitely lost favor um, in the international community. Unfortunately, our news doesn't lend to showing that side of it through that lens. But if you look at outside resources other than our mainstream media, you'll get a fuller and more encompassing uh, perspective of how we are viewed as Americans and it is not, um, it's not pleasant mm -hmm. to, to watch that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So once you're home from um, UAE mm -hmm. and once you know that you're going to be staying home, you don't plan on going back right now to mm -hmm. I, like at, at the time you come home, you don't plan on going back right away. Anyways, um, you're home and mm -hmm. you're just trying to pick back up mm -hmm. where you left off before the whole right. Um, situation happened. So tell me about how in the world did you end up having three Afghan children in your home? I mean, you didn't just pack them in your no, bag and bring no. them back. Yeah, it's it's kind of an amazing story. So um, relationships are so important and building those relationships early on have been pretty critical in my life. You know, I met you when we were much younger. Mm -hmm. Um and the bond that you create when you're younger is so much more authentic. And when you're not somebody, you know, you're just you. And so um, I have a relationship like that with a friend from college, just very authentic relationship, but he happens to have um, a significant amount of, of pull in the international community. I got a phone call to backtrack a little bit. I got a phone call in probably February. I left in January, February, early March saying, Hey, you know, we identified 40 unaccompanied minors. In other words, they're 40 kids, not related, um, that they were separated from their parents at age Kaya, which is a, a, an entire different story. Mm -hmm. um, and all of them, we managed to find um, family connections or cousins or a way for them to move forward and go to the U.S. When I left, we were down to six. 
And then by the end of it, there were only three left. And, there, and my contact said, there is no path forward for these boys. So um, uh, the Emiratis who have been amazing in, in all their support, they, they're not part of UNHCR. So this means that they are not beholden to some of the international regulations that the rest of the countries, a lot of the countries are. They have done this truly out of the generosity of their hearts and to help and to be humanitarians. Um, but if the boys don't have a way forward, you know, we didn't know it was going to happen to them. So I called this friend from college that I've known for a very long time. And, um, and we were able to um, find a way. So he suggested the humanitarian parole. So we got them under humanitarian parole. We were very lucky to be able to use that. But that means that we are the legal guardians of them. We receive no help. We receive no financial. They are not on Medicare, Medicaid. It is the financial responsibility is completely on us. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that is something that we knew going in. It's kind of like getting married. You think you know what you're getting into, but you don't quite. So it has been a learning curve dealing with asylum and dealing with the, um, the refugee status and applying for um, citizenship and trying to get them acclimated in languages and cultural norms that we take for granted mm -hmm. that are not cultural norms other places. So it has been a, an amazing process. We are not even close to through. They've just done another phase of the of the process for asylum and it'll keep going for several years. Mm -hmm. I think that people don't realize how extensive it is. Um, what would you say to people who might comment negatively saying things like, oh, we don't want any illegal immigrants. First of all, obviously, those who are educated know that that's not um, the situation with refugees. But can right. you kind of just touch on that a little bit? Because um, I know that all of my listeners have a huge heart for America and mm -hmm. the backbone of America. Mm -hmm. And we talked about how important it is for America to uphold its promises. Mm -hmm. And really, at the end of the day, the majority of people who are in America have come here from different types of lives where the melting pot of the world, right? So just what would you say about that when you hear maybe some negative comments? Yeah, and I understand that. I I think we have to be careful of not um, crossing the lines of illegal immigration and people seeking refugee from a terrorist regime or those who have faced natural disasters. And the best way that I can kind of put it in perspective this isn't someone, these, this, particularly the children, mm -hmm. but these aren't people who are like, hmm, I think I'm going to sneak into the United States and do bad things. These are people that right here, right now, we get up and we have to leave in what we have on, what's in our pockets and what we can carry. And that is it. And then you go to a country, you're, you're put in a country, you don't know the language, the culture, the food, the customs, you know nothing about it. So if I was to be dropped in the middle of Turkey, for example... I mean, and then, okay, well, here you go. Make it work. Like it is, it is, it is not a welcoming environment. And also with the Afghans that came through, they are vetted. Um, they have been members who have helped uh, our efforts in Afghanistan. So these people have been vetted and they're such hard workers. Um, my children are, have the school loves them. They work, they both the older two have jobs. They're just hardworking and they just want a chance. Mm -hmm. They are not trying to take anything. They just want to earn their way. And, and the hope that they see hope is such a powerful thing. They just have hope. 
Um, so there it is. It's a big difference between those who are coming in illegally and those who have worked hard to get here or are trying to go through the process of becoming legal American citizens. Big difference. Yes. Thank you so much for explaining that too, because you did it a lot more eloquently than I would have done. <laughs> I would have just said, you guys suck it up. Um, so, um, so what's next for you? Do you know? Uh, that is a good question. So my daughter that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, I, especially with Canvas, you all. I mean, it's been a roller coaster. It has been an interesting, so in life in general, I turned 50 this year. So I feel like I'm just starting a new chapter. <laughs> um, maybe re retire into the mountains. Now for the children, um, the, the goal for the children is to make sure that they are set up and given the tools to succeed, I will not do that for them, but I will give them the foundation and the tools and the resources to make sure that they're set up to succeed as I did with my children, as I would do for any person that I helped. Now I'm not going to um, spoon feed. I refuse to do that. But so that's with the children. Um, for me, my daughter makes fun of me because she's like, mom, you've done all this stuff. And I'm like, I haven't done anything. She, and she looks at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she'll start, <laughs> but she'll start listing some of the things and they're just, when it's your life, mm -hmm. like your life, Patty, like your life is amazing and you're so accomplished, but you're so humble because for you, it's just your life, you know, that's her. And then, <laughs> it's true. It, but yeah. it's just your life. You know, I've. I've, um, you know, I jumped out of airplanes. I, you know, I, I've had it, I've had, I've traveled a lot. I've gone to a lot of countries. I've done a lot, but what's next is I love cultures. I love exploring. I'd love to keep working in a humanitarian field that helps children find a way because truly that is where, um, you change lives and you don't just change that life, but it is generational, you know, it's secondary and tertiary. You're changing their lives and their children's lives and the generations that you can impact by just being nice, mm -hmm. not judgmental, not mean, not, you know, catty, just be nice, you know, hope. So true. And, and you are doing that with the Black Feather Foundation. You have a mm -hmm. pretty incredible um, opportunity to continue to reach more children. Yes. Um, so Candace is the um, program director at um, Black Feather Foundation. And She's truly incredible. They're a newer nonprofit and they're working on some um, details to help more refugees. But, um, you know, you just continue just to awe and inspire me and all of those who are around you. And really, it's funny because I have known you since 2008, but the more and more right. we spend time together, um, I can see other aspects of your life I had no idea about. So, we met each other in 2008 and that was at Fort Bragg area in North Carolina at a Barnes and Noble back in the day. Um, it's a great story. It is. You should tell that story. So we, um, uh, so myself and my son Hunter, um, we were planning a trip to go to Guatemala with a woman that I had met at our church, not too long before this whole idea happened. So, um, Basically, what had been going on is my husband, Ken, he had been wounded in war and it was the end of 2007. And we were just kind of like in this weird place of, I want my kids to understand that there's people off in the, are um, worse off in the world than mm -hmm. we are. And I had this little group of Christian military wives that were meeting together at our church. And there was this woman, Daphne, who was in our group. And I briefly said something like, I wish that there was something somewhere I 
or just something I could do, I guess, for somebody else who's worse off than us. Like, what can we do? And she starts talking about, she has these two children. She adopted them from Guatemala. There's a lot of kids there who need help or um, encouragement. So I could adopt one online and just like sponsor them online for school supplies. So it started as that. And I was showing Hunter on the computer, some of these kids, and um, he's like, I want to sponsor this one. And he points at this little boy, Marcus. And um, Hunter says to me, can we go visit him? And I was like, oh no, we can't do that. Like, that's just not, not a possibility. So I mentioned it at the next get together at church that, oh, Hunter wants to go to Guatemala. And Miss Daphne, she's like, well, I know we don't know each other very well, but I've been there a couple of times. I don't know Spanish. I'll go with you though. So her and I, we planned this trip to Guatemala on the condition that we could find really cheap plane tickets because we, you know, Ken, we didn't know how much longer he would be in the military because he was going through this med board process. And to make a long story short, we found really cheap plane tickets. I mean, I'm talking like $208 a <laughs> trip per person. And so we're planning this and about a week out, I said, I don't really have a translator. We don't know Spanish, but we're still going. <laughs> and uh, so then a couple of days later, after that thought was in the back of my head, like, this is going to be an interesting trip. <laughs> um, I was at Barnes and Noble and I hear this beautiful blonde lady speaking fluent Spanish to her children. Not what I exactly pictured, because when I first heard somebody speaking Spanish, I automatically, you know, in my head, I'm thinking it's going to be somebody of a Hispanic background. And when I see her, I'm like, what in the world? She's like this gorgeous, like supermodel with this blonde hair, like shimmering, like an angel in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like her, I'm going to go talk to her. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. <laughs> went, went over and was like, I oh, hear you're speaking Spanish. That's pretty mm -hmm. neat. We're going to Guatemala. Hunter and I are going to Guatemala. Candace says, who's your interpreter going to be? Because, you know, you don't speak Spanish, right? We get, kind of get in this conversation and I was like, I don't know, you want to go? <laughs> jokingly, you know, half jokingly. And she's like, I'll let you know. And um, that's my side of the story. Um, she goes home and tells her husband, like, these women are crazy. They're taking their small children to Guatemala, which is a third world country. They do not speak Spanish. I'm pretty much afraid for them. Yeah. <laughs> and Three days later, we went to Guatemala. We did. Together. We were on a plane together in three days. Yeah. And I was worried. I was genuinely yeah. worried. <laughs> but now she knows me and she knows I'm tiny, but I can take people out of their you kneecaps are, if I have to. <laughs> you're fierce. That is so true. Yeah. I was concerned. Um, I, I was very recently out of the military, so I was still in that protection mode. And so, um, in, you know, Spanish, I, I went to Georgetown University and the School of Foreign Service, you have to be fluent in foreign language to graduate. And so um, even though I thought Southern and English were two different languages, apparently that did not pass. <laughs> so I, I learned Spanish, um, but you know, you, you don't use it, you lose it, that's for sure. But that was an amazing adventure down there that was an amazing opportunity and it was great to get to know you there but also you know it's just it really is your nature and it exemplifies who you are and what you've become in your heart for service you know it just shows through and then you're just like I'm gonna find a way I don't speak Spanish but I'm gonna find a way and I don't know if we can afford it but I'm gonna find a way and that's who you are and that you know it attracts people to you because you're you're selfless and you're genuine and authentic and it just 
it's an honor to know you even before you you worked in any other field but being patty you know what you see is what you get with you and I love it so much well thank you I think that's how we were able to connect though because I feel the same about you when I met Candace I had no idea really what her background was and um you know we're in in this bookstore I mean I <laughs> thinking about it I could have ended up in Guatemala with a crazier woman than the people there that I thought I was being protected from but right. no but really <laughs> I'm just joking guys when you meet her when you meet Candace in person you just know that she's such an authentic person and so genuine and just has a really big heart to help people. And, um, over the years, especially I've learned to just connect with those people, those like-minded people mm-hmm. who will have your back and who really, um, have the backs of those who are, for instance, my case, um, you know, she was looking out for me and she would look out for any of you watching, mm-hmm. um, if it came to what she would think would be a a decision of either life or death or, uh, getting mm-hmm. yourself into a, a bad situation. She would, she would warn you, she would yeah, tell you, for sure. um, and I, I really very much appreciate that, um, and Candace and then her continued heart over the years, just to help people. That's mm-hmm. her service to the country speaks volumes, um, her country to the service when she was in the military, after she's gotten out, she's done a lot of amazing things. And now she's taken in boys that, um, needed a home. And yeah. I mean, that's a huge deal. Um, it's been an huge. interesting process for sure. Yeah. It's been, you know what it's been, it's been enlightening. Um, like the culture my children are, um, one of them is Cesara, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a minority within a minority, which is crazy. They're Muslim. They have mother, I have a deep Christian faith. Um, but it's been so beautiful to watch my biological children and and our other boys now they're best of friends they and they're they're liaisons to help people understand you're just people mm-hmm. you just want to love your family you protect them and the differences really aren't significant we are so much alike and to be able to see that and and patty you'd ask earlier kind of where it was going so i needed a little bit of a break mm-hmm. to help the children kind of acclimate we had to we didn't have to, let me rephrase it. We bought a, a new house um, because now there are seven children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our current house didn't fit that. So we bought a new house. We moved. We had a lot of moving pieces going on and I needed time to help everyone, you know, acclimate to the new environment. Mm-hmm. But now I'm, I'm back with the Black Feather Foundation. And let me tell you, so the, one of the gentlemen that was over there, his name is Joe Robert. And just, I just meet him and he's Joe just Joe, just a good guy that's there doing the right thing. We'll fast forward. And he is the founder of the, of the organization I work for. And if you could define altruistic, there's nothing um, more altruistic than what he has done and where he is going with the organization. So I'm very honored to be a part of this. And, and through the program, we're trying to help children acclimate to their new environment. And I was very poor growing up. Um, we lived in it, you know, I was on food stamps, you know, I had free lunch, uh, at school back when it was a, you know, it was a, it was kind of a discriminator. And, uh, so we were very poor, um, as we ever flowed through my childhood and sports was my way out. I mean, it was my way out. It was my ticket. Everything I am is because I can handle physical pain, which helps me handle mental pain. It gives you a sense of tenacity that, that just changes everything and to be able to work in groups and the team dynamics, 
So we saw that with my children now, with the Afghan children, in just acclimating to this new culture through sports. I mean, they're learning culture and nuances and how to cuss properly, (laughs) (laughs) but they're learning all these things through sports. And in that, I'm also being drawn into the new community that I moved to. I'm meeting other parents and it was just kind of an epiphany, like, wow, through the children, we are helping families, everybody just adjust to the new norm and and learn new cultural things and make friends and have connections outside of just their house. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been an amazing process with the Black Feather Foundation. That is so amazing. And I look forward to asking you some questions next year to see how you've progressed. And um, I think that you're just you're just an amazing person. And it's funny that I never would have thought that I met her. I would meet her in North Carolina. And then all of a sudden, I think we connected on Facebook and Mm -hmm. we were basically like, Hey, where are you located? And she was like, Tampa. And I said, you're kidding me. Like we're in Florida also. And, um, yeah, that's a pretty cool thing. Pretty amazing. yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And, um, Candace, is there anything else that you would like to add? Uh, no, I first, again, thank you so much for having me. Um, thank you for letting me talk about the Black Feather Foundation and, um, and we are truly humbled to, um, everything that's happened has just been a gift. Um, like, like you, you've worked very hard to get where you are in, in, but you might not see it that way, but the decisions that you're making propel you forward and every decision has made you become just who you are. And it's amazing. And I just look back and I'm lucky to have had the people in my life meet the people that I've met and uh and to be able to be here on your show thank you I feel the same you all that's probably the mushiest you've ever heard on the show <laughs> and it won't happen again I promise but um thank you all for listening and um you're gonna hear from Candace again in the near future I think so um thank you thank you everybody and have an amazing rest of your week um i do want to do a shameless plug for my affiliate um grave experience they are a beef jerky company so um you'll have the link in the show notes if you want a 10 percent discount they're all organic and they have ranches across america where they're getting their meat they do not have anything distributed from any other countries um it's all here in the u.s so thanks everybody and have an amazing rest of your week